Throw on your gold spandex and dive into the undersea world of mustachioed villains, science fiction submarines, and cobbled together kaiju as we return to another monster-adjacent adventure from the master, Ishiro Honda. This is Kaiju vs. History, Latitude Zero. Welcome back. This is your utopian Captain Nemo, Patrick here, and joining me is the Joker and his Batman minions, Miles. Hey, Miles. Oh, hello, Patrick. <laughs> Fancy seeing you here this week. <laughs> it's 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 awesome to see uh, <laughs> his mustache uh, <laughs> in full glory without all the the, the white makeup <laughs> over it. <laughs> Yes, um, we are referring to, of course, the immortal Cesar Romero, who plays our villain deliciously in this week's movie. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if does he actually ever twirl his mustache in this film? No, because but he should have. I, I was about to say it, it, it should be every other scene. He should be twisting it because uh, the line readings are, are so, so juicy. Yes. And this is a. Uh, the film that we're doing this week, a Toho kind of co-production released in 1969 in Japan on July 26th, the film Latitude Zero, which saw its perfunctory U.S. release well over a year later in December of 1970. Latitude yeah, I, and, and I, I made the mistake of not doing I like, I like going into my my movies blind and and so. A lot of the stuff that hasn't been archived by Arrow or Criterion, especially by Shiro Honda, we've been able to find on, on the Internet Archive. Mm-hmm. And so I, I like to go into these movies blind without doing too much research, especially ones I hadn't seen before doing this show. And yeah. if I had, I would have known that this movie was filmed in English <laughs> and would have not watched the Japanese dub with subtitles. But... You you might have gotten a a better. <laughs> a, a I think I got a better. I, I think I got a better reaction from the Japanese cast, and then not so much from obviously the English speaking actors. But regardless, before we talk about this extremely fun little movie, Patrick, tell us what's in a title. So yeah, this is a movie I did not know about before we started our kaiju podcast together, and there are many sci-fi action adventure movies that Ashiro Honda did some of them with the kind of shoehorned in kaiju so we're looking at them but I've not disliked any of his films Same. so I'm, I'm so happy that we got to to see some of these like I said never even heard of this one before no I I hadn't either and I mean really I mean if 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 we are Splitting hairs. This is not a kaiju film, but any excuse to watch an Ashiro Honda film <laughs> is going to be okay by me. Yes, there is a a giant monster that appears in the film and hilariously does v- very nothing. Little. Does very, absolutely very nothing. Little. Like it, if it wasn't a there's Honda a reason, film and I didn't like it, I would have been, been mad at Patrick because this is about as much of a kaiju film as the Mighty Gorga. But <laughs> I, I, I would compare it to his other kaiju adjacent films like atragon 
Gorath. Gor- yeah, Gorath. I mean, um, it definitely is more like Gorath because you do have something for about three minutes, if that. There's there's a lot of you have creatures gone in this too because we got a magical kind of submarine and yeah, we do uh, an under. Water civilization. But before we get to that, Patrick, right. what's that title? <laughs> right. So the title, of course, comes from the location in the movie Latitude Zero on the you know axis of of the the globe right there at the I guess that'd be the equator, right? Latitude Zero. Yes. I I, I don't know how <laughs> to read a globe. Apparently, the literal Japanese title is The Great Latitude Zero Operation, and it was re-released during the Toho Champion Festival, I think alongside one of the Godzilla movies as The Great Undersea War, Great Latitude Zero Operation. In West Germany, uh, <laughs> U-Boat 4000, Panic in the Ocean, U-4000, and <laughs> some other All fun right. titles out there, Where the World Ends in, in Spain, Panic in the Deep Sea in, in Dutch. And the title of the submarine comes up in the Netherlands title in the poster, The Destruction of the Alpha, which is the name of the hero's submarine in this mm-hmm. movie. This is very much a Flash Gordon-like serial adventure with a much larger scale than you would probably see in a lot of Toho films. And Yeah, this... I mean, this movie... It definitely feels like, I mean, this is certainly a science fiction film of the era. Mm-hmm. And it's responding to a lot of things that have been popular, you know, like Flash Gordon serials or very much American comic books. The Silver Age is all over this and yep. certainly influenced by a lot of the American science fiction of the time. And this is, I mean, a really interesting movie. It's a, there's a, there's a bondness to it as well, but there, mm-hmm. there is certainly, like it, it feels like the pilot of what should be an ongoing adventure series. So you've said the the magic word there, series. This, while being a Toho film and directed by Shiro Honda, was not written by Sekizawa or Mabuchi, his only other real collaborators in these kind of films. It was written by an American named Ted Sherdeman, and he wrote. Well, we've seen one other film that was scripted by by Ted. That's 1954's Them. But he worked on stateside on television and movies for decades, though. <laughs> this is his last credited script on IMDb. So might tell you how popular this movie was. But this is based on a radio play and a story treatment that I think he wrote with his wife in 1941 so almost 20 years prior to this becoming a a film oh no more more than 20 years almost 30 years prior right 41 to 69 that's 28 years yes and yeah so it was shopped around to become if not a a a, a ongoing serial on the radio a television show in the 50s and eventually i don't know how it became a movie on the big screen but as I said, this was kind of a co-production. It was initially budgeted for both Toho and the the American producers for this film to have a budget of one million U.S. dollars, which is 
massive. <laughs> it's unbelievable how much that is, like, for, for Toho films, which were Yeah, like- and well, I mean, it certainly shows. I mean, this, this film <laughs> definitely, I mean, for having as many underwater submarine sequences as it does, looks really good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, as such, a lot of the budget, though, they originally shelled out was going to American cast members, including, I think, Academy Award winning actor Joseph Cotton. I, I wanted to read that like a tenth of the budget, like one hundred thousand dollars was was going his way, which is crazy to think about. Well, but you also have to think about the kind of movies this guy has had been in. Yeah. Like and, Citizen Kane uh, <laughs> and the third man. Like this is an Orson Welles. Like I, I think three, three movies with Orson Welles, maybe like I get shelling out that kind of money for that quality mm-hmm. of an actor. <laughs> Philadelphia story. Yeah. A lot of classics. Actually, I'm not sure if he won an Academy Award. Do-do-do. Yeah, no, the Guardian named him one of the best actors to never receive an Academy Award nomination. So that that's very interesting. He, th- This is him probably 20 years past his prime, but still given large billing here as as kind of like the main actor in the, the film. If you take a look at the poster, Miles, is this supposed to be him on the poster? <laughs> I've got it in the notes like much further down here, but th- there's a there's a character front and center on the poster. I was like, this does not look like Joseph Cotton. No. <laughs> but yeah, he's he's the big draw. He's who they spent a lot of the the budget on. And then Cesar Romero, I think getting about quarter or half of of that um that huge paycheck. A lot of it was going to the actors, pro- more than probably a quarter of that million dollars. Unfortunately, you can read about this in a share Honda's biography by rifle and uh, Gazowitsky. But at some point, the American co-producers and, and, and money men had to like pull out that one of them apparently was just bankrupt, straight <laughs> bankrupt. And this was like, as they were going into filming, they've already gotten these American actors out to Japan to, to film. And the, the budget had to get reduced down a good deal, probably like 20 to 25%. And I think they pulled a lot of that. I mean, they, they can't like break contracts with the, some of the actors they've already got in and credited to to work for months for them so i i think a lot of potentially planned kaiju-esque scenes might have been cut because of that i i can i can certainly understand that (laughs) so maybe makes sense what what happens kind of towards the the end of this film but yeah, yeah. So it makes makes sense that we we have kind of a less of product, but it's still a very full film. It is a long film. I think it's over an hour and a half. And yeah, it's, it's it feels like what's one of the longer ones we have. But I mean this this movie is this movie's a blast. You mm-hmm. have you have your core cast who you, we open up with like kind of the the erupting of a volcano and it's some great footage that looks fantastic. I was, uh, I was a little confused. It was this, the, the volcano footage that they used real, or is this something that they created for the film? I, I was on the impression that it was stock footage. If it wasn't, then this, the special effects on that scene are incredible. Yeah. The, some, some great shots of, of the volcano. 
some some great science in this movie in general. Ashira Honda always loves to get the the science right for things, and, and we really veer into the fantastical <laughs> in this we, movie. I mean, a we lot, do. I mean, this is this is certainly just... a Showa era idea that has been recently kind of re-explored in stuff like Godzilla versus Kong, mm-hmm. where you have these kind of you know using Hollow Earth or you know a different part of Earth where you can have civilization. It's 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 an old school kind of silver agey idea that I think shows a little more optimism on Honda's side. This is almost kind of the, the tonal opposite of a film like Gojira, where it is centering on man's hubris and the horrifying nature of what we have meddled with. Whereas mm. this is the other end. We're like, here is what we can do for good in science. And a lot of Star Trek ideas in, in Ab- absolutely. I mean, latitude. Yeah, you could say sequest ideas. Oh um, yeah, but, which which is that. which is I mean Star Trek in the ocean. But I I really like the the kind of playful optimism this film has, and I think that you have a character like Mackenzie who is established as to already having this kind of rivalry with the villain and. Which is why I kind of feel like there, there could have been a serialized nature to this. I feel like there could have been like more films in this series had this been a huge hit. It was certainly kind of filmed that way. I wish. I wish. But <laughs> um, I, I think Joseph Cotton is, while this may not be the prime of his career, he is certainly having a good time as Captain <laughs> Craig McKenzie. There's a lot of Vincent Price in his performance. There's a lot of yes. over the top. <laughs> Between the scenery, uh, him yeah, and over, obviously over the Caesar in the best way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like both, both him and Caesar Romero, hardcore over the top. But before we move away from, it, I wanted to mention Wikipedia has that volcano as being an effect of uh, a special effect used the same kind of technology that they used for Dagora the space monster. It was a underwater camera upside down, and they kind of dropped in colored paints. To, to make those clouds, which that that's one of the, the best effects uh, that's, in the film, for sure. I mean, it's one of the best effects I've seen in the 60s. Like, that's tremendous. And it was, it's something that it was daytime, unlike Degora, which was uh, like old nighttime shots, I feel like, uh, or space shots, you know? Yeah. And I mean, there's a disaster film that will likely use that in a, a few years. 1972 is The Submersion of Japan, based off the novel Japan Sinks, mm-hmm. uh, which Rob- Roger Corman turned into Tidal Wave. That film has a lot of great natural disaster effects, and I would imagine they use something very, very similar. I am a huge, huge fan of the special effects in this movie because while they do go for these kind of more colorful comic booky looks for a lot of the designs, everything looks pretty great until we get to the creatures. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I don't know if we want to talk too much about the the story of this film, but yeah, I don't want to spoil too much about this one because I really want people to discover this film. This is this is mm-hmm. something worth people like searching out. I mean, the elevator pitch is like basically three three guys, two scientists and a journalist are trapped in a. They're kind of doing a routine bathosphere. Yeah, but they're doing a, like a routine experiment mm-hmm. and an eruption severs their line to the main ship so their 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 little dinghy goes to the bottom of the ocean they are saved by the alpha and its crew 
And the adventure kind of goes on from there. It's kind of Star Wars-y, but Cap- in the ocean. Captain Nemo and the 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 Nebuchadnezzar. Or what was the ship called? The the Nautilus or is a fantastical submarine captain in, in this movie. And there's a an idyllic place called Latitude Zero in the film. Yeah. And I mean, this movie constantly has a sense of fun, but it also kind of creates uh some fun social situations like when what's his name the photographer is it lawton that's like talks uh-huh. about like oh you have women on your ship and like get shot down like instantly <laughs> and this, this is 1969 sir yeah i mean i i loved everything about this movie even honestly even the bad stuff about this movie factors into it being great because yeah. you have some stuff that kind of makes no sense. Like the, the Cesar Romero character who is supposed to be the, a legitimate mad scientist and evil genius is after this, after this formula. But if he's such a genius, why does he need someone else's work? He <laughs> constantly talks about how smart he is and how great he is and how he can do this, this and this, but he's trying to steal another scientist's work. And I'm just like, think, figure it out yourself, dude. Like <laughs> that, that whole thing just like cracks me up, but it's a, it's a fun, like he, he's the problem. kind of villain that, yeah, puts human brains into, to animals and things. I don't think he's working with all, all the, the marbles there. <laughs> he is, he is a Frankenstein style. Yeah. I mean, he is, uh, he is, he is, uh, Dr. Wiley, you know, he is certainly just a out there wild old school mad scientist. And I love it. Like I don't mind that his stuff doesn't make sense because he's certainly lost it. And his, his whole deal is weird. Mm -hmm. Um, and it honestly, it contributes to the charm of this movie. Cause I think, I think the one thing I said to you when talking about this movie was just how charming it is. And, and I think a lot of that is because of, Honda. Yeah, it, and it's 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 so funny. He can take some some really out there things that should be bad on paper, like the majority of the Mysterians, <laughs> and makes it innately watchable. And I think rewatchable. I think this one. Oh, I mean, I I is if it needs an MST3K riff so bad. This one is just pitch perfect. For for that, I also just like the movie as it is. Like I know Tokyo, I think might have been Tokyo Shock. Someone released, I think it was Tokyo Shock to release a DVD of this. I need someone to release a nice, like restoration, cleaned up blue, yeah, a completely redone Blu-ray or 4K of this movie because this movie deserves to be seen. This is it's an experience for sure, and I, I would say. Even more so than Atragon and Gorath and Dagor. Oh, I, I think I, because I love he films, had the budget but... that he deserved for this this one mm-hmm. time, he was able to at least complete his thought. Like Atragon and Gorath have great ideas, but you can tell that they were they were victims of their budget and what they could do. Whereas this one, that was for the most part not the issue. When it came to creatures. They did have to scale back a little bit. The money, the money definitely dried up in that department. Uh, you yeah. see a lion who is clearly a guy in a suit and 
Oh, not just any guy. It's Haru and Nakajima. Yeah. Uh, of Godzilla fame. And he's also in one of the rat suits. And I swear. Yeah. I, I can tell which rat because one of them is like going all out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> These giant I mean, rats. the act, the suit acting is not the issue. It's the actual suits. Um, yes. Because suits even when they act. make the so-called Griffin, which is not. Right. It is a, a, a woman's brain inside of a lion with. A, a a giant condor or a condor's wings and yeah somehow this this evil doctor is able to frankenstein it together right. and it's like oh Although wow Taylor griffins have like the head of an evil yeah well it's i think it is i don't know if it's called that in the film but uh it's I mean, credited that and as it's, cre- it's, last it's what's called griffin, afterward <laughs> yeah i was frankly offended um uh, nakajima does well in it but he is not given a great given nothing to do and the suit is very cheap it it seems like it could have been a great kind of climactic battle it it, it could have been i mean it's certainly a situation where money dried up because so much of this movie doesn't look that cheap in comparison well yeah there's the elements in latitude zero there's this one scene with a giant miniature map of this underground location undersea location and like it's it's beautiful it's it's amazing there's so many great miniatures just there that they, i uh, like i like the silver mage costuming where like they, they explain oh, why boy. everything is gold and yeah it's silly but also it's a great explanation i also oh, love that like oh yeah we just use diamonds for cutting tools they mean nothing to us the, the costuming in general of this entire film is just bonkers and great <laughs> if you are interested is, in the era it's it's what people make fun of those later 60s and 70s bond movies for being <laughs> oh 100 percent. i mean th- this 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 is a silver age science fiction comic brought to life i think it is it's so sincere in its effort and that's that i think is is the key is is honda is almost i mean he he doesn't do anything without without his voice. He is very sincere in what he wants to do. And I really think he's trying to make the the opposite tonal statement of Godzilla. I think he's t- in, in or Gojira. Mm-hmm. I think in this instance, he is talking about what we could do, what we could achieve. This is a very, like I think you said it best, a very Star Trek idea. This is very Roddenberry. And yeah, but it, I, it makes it makes sense how far away we are from Gojira and how much Japan has changed in that time. Yes. That he's, he's willing to just go completely in the opposite direction. I think everyone kind of, everyone showed up for work. I mean, the entire cast, like there are some characters who like you have that one character. I think it's, I think it's Dr. Jules Mason, the, the French guy. Yeah. He, who yes. is like barely in this movie, but like is also like a main character. <laughs> yes, he's supposed to be French. He's definitely played by uh, uh, Masumi Okada, a, a Japanese actor. <laughs> so if you watch his few scenes in in English, it's very <laughs> all the Japanese actors in this movie, including Akira Takarada is one of our main characters, uh, Dr. Ken Toshiro. Unfortunately, they don't know English. They they learned most of their lines phonetically and you can tell for for some of the 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 characters which um, which which makes me pretty happy i watched it like i watched some of the season Romero scenes in english definitely Um, go back and watch watch this in english at some point the the captain of the the black moth the karu the black shark black shark sorry 
Kuroki, uh, her her English readings are bananas. It reminds me uh, a good deal of well, my, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Uh, some oh, like the, Scorpina or the, something. The, the crazy. Uh, yes, she reminds me a lot of Scorpina. But yes, that I I certainly pick up on that. This film um, this film has the the exact opposite of, of last week's episode, <laughs> the Mighty Gorgo, which is bad elements that are just great because of of uh <laughs> of how bad they are it it blows my mind that ashiro honda directed this not speaking english he had someone translating for him and and going between and got such a great so many great no, performances he, he got really great performances out of out of everyone and i i mean again i just i'm a little surprised this one's more of a buried treasure i would oh. probably say the most buried treasure for me so far because this movie is so much fun. Like mm-hmm. if you if I saw this as a kid on a Saturday morning when when you know I was growing up, I would have absolutely eaten this up. Yeah. Do, do you have a favorite scene in the the film? Man, I obviously that those <laughs> it's it's a it's a it's a scene I like a lot. I don't know why, but it's when they're scaling the blood rock. Mm-hmm. And they're going over that weird river of acid, and <laughs> is it, of, is it, is of it course, Kobo that gets Co- his. Yeah, he puts his boot in, just yeah, plunges like, it in. That whole scene is just—I I don't know—it's—it's it's magic for me. It's—it's Goonies-like in a sense. Yeah, um, of course, the the evil layer of of Caesar Romero has just a, a like a river of acid to deter people from attacking him. I, yeah, I mean, there are so many great things. I also love the the first encounter where, like, the su- submarine does all these like sweet tricks, and and they're like, "Oh, bless that Mackenzie! He's he's tricked out a submarine again." <laughs> yes, I, uh, the undersea parts weren't my favorite. I I did enjoy just the initial meeting on the the deck of the Alpha, where Captain Mackenzie is being very coy and answering some questions and <laughs> very over the top. And you mentioned they ask the the female doctor's age and he's like gentlemen the, even in our advanced society <laughs> we never give out a woman's that age. that line oh, is my. that line is a home run i thought that 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 element of cheesy dad jokey fun is just pitch perfect for me um, i i i am i am so absolutely charmed by this film and i think it's probably my it's probably my favorite non-godzilla honda film um, yeah, I, I, as much as I love Mysterians, I think I did enjoy this experience. Yeah, and I was, more. I've been a big part of the Mysterians as well, but like, this is like Honda getting, for the most part, a budget worthy of his skill. And while he can't do everything that he's clearly setting out to do, he gets to do more than, than he often gets to do. And I, I think this is, I mean, just, I, well, this, this is not the most academic term. This movie's a hoot and a holler. Yes, and <laughs> I, I would go into more plot details, but I think you're right. I think I would like if anyone's listening to this has not seen it. It's, it's hard to track down, but if you can, definitely give this a watch. I'm, yeah, um, if you're trying to find the Tokyo Shock DVD, I think you're going to probably spend about 30 bones on that. Internet Archive is your best friend when it comes to a lot of these films from the era. I think that's how you watched it, Patrick. That's certainly how I did. Yeah, yeah. So you can find it, it archived a few places online as well. Yeah, I just I I think the 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 pressures of making this movie they had like actors that had to drop out because of illness. Apparently, <laughs> Joseph Cotton was ill toward the end of filming this movie, so 
uh, I want to go back and watch it because uh, apparently he's like white as a sheet <laughs> in some elements, uh, in some scenes and, and just fighting through it because I, you know, only had them on location for, I think, like two months to to do all the filming for this. And he's in almost like every shot him and Cesar Romero at the very least. Um, I know that there was a moment where Honda put his foot down because they wanted they wanted to put the, the I think it was the Americans that wanted to push the envelope and and actually show linda haynes nude yeah and honda was like nah ain't doing that <laughs> well that is you know obviously that probably be fine for some audiences in america you know very tasteful nudity or things like that and this is you know around the time of barbarella and, and other films but that was becoming vogue but obviously in japan that was not going to cut it and the the idea right. of of two different versions of the movie like came up, but he still suggested a different way to shoot that scene, which did not require. Well, and the translators were telling Haynes that, Oh yeah. in Japan, it's not a big deal at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And she still refused and said that they put some kind of skin colored phone rubber over her breast to get her to do the scene. And she goes, must've been a long shot because apparently they were, they had to reshoot that a couple times. <laughs> yes, it's, but, I mean, it's it's certainly I, I would say a provocative scene because of I mean it is shot a certain way where you're where you where you kind of get a feeling like oh yeah this is this is a little risque for the kind of movie this is. Well, there's also four greased up gentlemen taking a, a bath as well in in like uh, <laughs> that green stuff in little teeny swimming trunks and it's like this entire scene is like what is happening <laughs> why is this in this movie but it's because it's an american writer is american co-production <laughs> get him uh, naked <laughs> and uh yeah not a lot that didn't work for me in this movie but you like i said you could tell the end kind of falls apart a little bit because they were just running out of time and money but i, I think ashiro honda gets better under constraints like that yeah there's there's a lot about this film that i mean honestly like i've said the monsters don't really work the the suits that they had um, the batmen are laughable the the batmen are laughable batmen are honestly the lion like you can kind of forgive if it was any other movie but because the the creatures stick out a little like a sore thumb because everything else looks pretty pretty good for the time and (laughs) It, uh, I understand that you know, like they, they certainly had a loss of money. And this is a not really a kaiju film. The creatures are not a big. I mean, this is as much a kaiju film as Ghostbusters. Well, the, the, the poster um, makes the griffin look a lot more monstrous. It doesn't have like a lion's head. It has like a pig maybe's head. It's hard to tell, but it's like, do they just were they yeah, just not? And, and the American to... poster also has the fact that they have these cool like powered gloves. Like each one has like a different <laughs> different. Oh, this is poison gas, and this is knockout gas, and this is a laser, and this is very this, is this. very James Bond esque. Yeah, the flamethrower finger is my favorite. <laughs> oh, it's it's fa- I love the the American poster for this. It's it's fantastic. So let's let's talk about our our ratings for this mm. this movie. Yeah, I, I think I've. Like I said, I had a blast with this one as far as enjoyability. And I think I would go back and rewatch it in in so many ways. The the flaws of this movie were made up for and in some cases became sources of entertainment <laughs> and is is certainly a movie I can picture myself throwing on to be like you guys, <laughs> you know, in, in a room full of people, you guys have never seen anything like this before. <laughs> 
Oh, I mean, this is this is certainly a conversation starter. <laughs> this is this is definitely a, a film to kind of pop up if you're if you got some like film buff friends or you want to kind of show off a deep cut. This is a great deep cut. So very enjoyable for me. I gave it an eight out of ten. I think probably that's on par with Mysterians, but it's pretty pretty high for a <laughs> as non kaiju esque of a film that it is. Uh, I, what, what about you? I'm pretty enthusiastic about this movie. I I had so, I, I was so utterly charmed by it, and I I would would have loved to have seen more times where Honda got a boatload of cash to work with and make cool movies like this. This is this is also it's, an eight out of ten for me because this it's unfortunately all downhill as far as budgets. I, budgets I know, go. I know. This is this is something that I would have loved to have seen more often for Honda, and I think. Getting to see what he can do with that kind of money also kind of zeroes in on just how talented of a, of a director he is because we've seen what he does with no money and or or micro budgets before. But he's got such a deft hand, and this movie is so so charming, and I have the absolute best time with this. For the te- technical aspects of the film, I'm dinging it a little bit for our situation. But yeah, I think it gets, does score a lot of points for writing and, and cinematography and, and things. In some places, it's the best thing you've ever seen. In other aspects, it is so laughably bad. It's like, how did this make it into the final look of the film? So it is, is up and down in, in some of the performances and what have you. So many things in this movie look amazing mm-hmm. as far as the technical aspects so many of the, sh- the shots the scenes and then you go to the next scene and it does look like a television set or you know <laughs> a, a terrible effect that y- you it feels like you're watching two different movies so I-, I i knocked it down a little bit for its technical aspect i gave it a six out of ten for that but it's it's still great for the parts that it is great, if that makes sense. So I was kinder to it mm-hmm. in in that respect. I ding it because, yeah, those suits, the suits of the creatures are rough. But <laughs> everything else, even when it's kind of weird or laughable, it, it, it feels very much like 1960s pop art. It We'll talk about this one day when we talk about the kind of unfilmed productions. But once upon a time, there was supposed to be a American Japanese co-production of uh, using utilizing the 1960s Batman, Adam West Batman, and Godzilla. And I feel like those conversations, at least, kind of. Well, we got Caesar Romero here, so there, there was. <laughs> it's so close. There are Batmen in the movie, Mike. Yeah, there are Batmen in this movie. Um, the plot of that movie is nothing like what this is, but. In that respect, so if someone gets wild and weird, I don't really ding it because it does kind of have that American pop art aspect to it. And mm-hmm. so I don't, I don't ding it for that, even when it has some, some odd stuff. I do ding it pretty heavily for those suits because those are pretty awful, but I'm still giving this a very generous eight out of 10. Like yeah. I just, I'm so charmed by this movie. You got to watch the American cut. <laughs> there's some there's some performances that are very interesting. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> very all over the place. Yeah, going back and so many of the sets are are, are beautiful and then some are just like, "What?" I, I guess some of the caves and things like that are are hilariously bad. Wow, that's pretty pretty high. What about for the evocative nature? Where's the stand so, as a 
piece of art. So I got to ding it pretty hard because this is, like I said, this is a buried treasure. This does not have a massive reputation in the States or even, you know, amongst kaiju fans. Mm-hmm. Like this is, I mean, it's certainly it being an available Ashura Honda film is enough because like it got some sort of American release. So we, we have, you know, we can, we can watch it. There's a, there's a lot of Honda's filmography that isn't science fiction or Godzilla that we just can't find, or yeah. at least we don't have access to not can't find, but like, you know, we're there's- much more likely to see latitude zero than song for a bride or rainbow plays in my heart. Like, mm-hmm. it, which is, which, which is, too bad because Honda is such a fantastic director and I love being able to watch some of his non-Godzilla work as a result because we get to see some of his other strengths. And despite that, this is not one that has made a huge impact. Mm. And so we do have to do that pretty heavily. And so I hate doing it, but I, I gave it a five because yeah, it just, it hasn't made an impact. It's a buried treasure. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a sad fact because I, I'm really enthusiastic about this film, but I, I gotta be true. And, uh, <laughs> so it's getting, it's getting a five out of 10 there. Some popcorn filmmaking for sure. <laughs> it is, is interesting in what it's done. Five on our evocative scale is moderately insightful. And I think you get an interesting insight into, like three different decades, the forties, fifties, and and sixties in in this film from yeah, from and my and, and my score is final film and. certainly not based on the why I, when I when I do that that I, I call this not the evocative I call it the cultural impact yeah. uh, that's more of what I base it, my, that score on than anything else it's, because it's not I've, just the cultural though that is definitely a part of it like. A film cannot have a legacy and still get a, a high score. I think there it, it sucks. Okay, that well, if that's is... the scale we're using, then I'm going to bump that up to a six. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was about to say we we don't have to. Um, I, I uh, whenever only... I give my third score, I tend to base it solely on the cultural impact. Yeah, because, well, as a, as a result, I, I feel like we shouldn't penalize it completely if just people haven't heard about. It. You, you, do you want to go up to a six? Because that will take you up just a little bit. Actually, I might want to go up to a seven. <laughs> that's, that's perfectly fine, but I will go up to a seven, which still uh, I think puts my score at eight. E- so it's two eights and a seven. Uh, right, right. I, I was about to say my my score for the evocative is a five as well. I, I think that brings you to a seven point six in total, and me to a six point three. But yeah, that is enough to bring up the score for the podcast to a seven which I think is probably around where it, it should be as far as yeah, like kaiju I, I, goes. I, I can, I can start because it's, it's certainly not a kaiju film. Like I said, it's, it's as much a kaiju film as Ghostbusters is, but <laughs> Ghostbusters uh, is pretty close. It's got a big old marshmallow. Man. It, it has a <laughs> three minute scene with a giant marshmallow man. I mean, if you, if, Hey, if you want to give me an excuse to watch Ghostbusters again, I will happily do it. Well, I feel like this does have so many hallmarks of a Shiro Honda. This, oh, for sure. Anything with a giant monster, even if it's Dagoro or, or Atragon, feels like it's in universe. You know, like if Godzilla had popped out of the ocean at one point of this film, I feel like it wouldn't be out of place. If I mean, I'm not gonna lie, I kind of hoping he would would as like <laughs> uh, just being helpful. He just kind of pops up randomly. Pick up the uh, the black shark and and throws it. Just hucks it. And then someone's like, "Oh, it's Gigantus!" <laughs> oh my goodness! 
universes collide for sure. Yeah, so that that brings the podcast average for this to a seven out of three. And yeah, I am I am ready to rewatch this. That's that's the funny thing about this. As as low as this down on the our, our kind of rating is, I still think so many of Shiro Honda's kaiju adjacent films are insanely watchable. <laughs> I could rewatch even the bad Godzilla movies for Godzilla, but these are are ones I want would like more people to to watch. Yeah, th- this is this is certainly like one. I think one of the byproducts of this podcast was not just for us to go through every single kaiju movie film ever made. It certainly is that, but also to find some of these kind of diamonds in the rough and cheerlead for them. And this is a hundred percent. I this is a movie that I want more people to see. This is a movie that I want somebody to do a great restoration of. I mean, I want that for Honda's entire career, not just his Showa era Godzilla films. I I would love for someone, and I mean, I'm glad we have the biography that we do, and that that was a a Herculean effort in and of itself. But I I would really love for someone to do the equivalent of the phenomenal biography that we have on Ashiro Honda for his career. And I'm kind of surprised that no one from like Criterion or something has tried to do that. I wish. Yeah. Like I said, he's, he was good friends with Akira Kurosawa and of course Kurosawa has gotten that treatment and deservedly so for so many of his films, uh, even, you know, lesser known ones, but these, man, these Godzilla Jason films, I really, I, I, I wish we, well, I wish they had actually given this a proper release. Didn't really talk about it. This movie kind of lost money. They were hoping Toho that this was going to be a big international kind of blockbuster, which is why they went with filming it in English to begin with. But it it got kind of pushed back for for a U.S. release and and was dropped in December in the U.S., which is not the same as putting it in December in Japan. Back then, that is not a I think in America, not a huge movie going time like it is right. now. It, it definitely has turned into a uh, a second kind of release point in, in American movies today. I don't think it was in the 60s. So, right. Uh, are you ready to wrap this one up for Latitude Zero, sir? Yeah, I, I would. I would love to know what we're doing next week. Well, before that, thank you for for watching this with me, and thank you to our listeners. Kaiju versus History on Twitter at Kaiju versus History, Kaiju versus History at Gmail. If you want to leave us a comment, if if you watch this movie, <laughs> I would I need more people to do so and talk to us about it. Uh, we're gonna put our review for Letterbox online so you can see what we think and what other folks think about it. I am shocked that this is happening miles but we're not leaving ashiro honda next week <laughs> we get uh, back to back honda yeah we are continuing with the hondaness for another film that is going to come out in 1969 by by ashiro honda and is going to round out this season for for kaiju versus history this is the last film of the the 1960s and it is another one that is much maligned in the the annals of godzilla history and we're gonna take a a critical historical look at it see if it's 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 certainly an interesting one that has 
people people are being much kinder to it now than they have been in the last 20 years. Right. So tune in next week when we look at history versus all monsters attack. <laughs>